Hello and welcome. I'm Michael Banks, and you're listening to Leadership Luminaries from PeopleSmart. My guest today is Animar Kozai, and she'll be answering the question, can the bullying leader be redeemed? We're going to be talking about the degree of bullying that takes place in organizations, the effect of toxic leadership on organizational culture, and what can be done about bullying leaders. Can they be redeemed? Or indeed, can they redeem themselves? Founder and director of Speak Up at Work Limited and co-founder of Speak Up Academy, Animar speaks, writes, and advises on workplace harassment, corporate wrongdoing, and toxic work cultures. She's Malaysian, based in London, and practiced law for nine years in Malaysia before joining the oil and gas industry as corporate counsel for 14 years. Animar give, has given talks and training in Kuala Lumpur, Bangkok, Singapore, and London, as well as media interviews on topics ranging from corruption and Me Too to global corporate scandals. Animar co-founded the Speak Up Academy and community of thought leaders uh, and experts in the compliance world to explore solutions on speaking up and whistleblowing on critical issues, as well as building safe and open organizational cultures. A certified coach, she co-facilitates weekly circles on the Speak Up Academy, covering workplace harassment, speaking up, and leadership. And just before we start, a little bit about PeopleSmart, the company that produces this show. PeopleSmart provides innovative learning solutions, both virtual and in-person, to organizations in many countries, cultures, and languages, focusing on leadership and people development in the context of digital transformation, change management, culture change, and the increasing need for emotional intelligence. Good morning, Anima. Great Good to morning. Have you How are you? Good morning, Michael. So glad to be here. Fantastic. Great. Well, we're going to jump straight into this. Uh, we've got lots to cover, and I know you have lots of fascinating information. So uh, my first question then, Anima, is, is bullying really a problem in the working world? How, and, and how widespread is it? It's, a, it's endemic, in, in one word, endemic. And I think people are waking up to that now as we hear more and more cases. You know, in the UK alone, I mean, we can see a number, whether we're looking at uh, Westminster or further uh, abroad, um, it's a huge problem. And in fact, there've been a number of surveys done around the world. Even if we just look at the UK, so the TUC survey, and this was along with YouGov, showed that 29% of people have been bullied at work. Um, and that was just, I think, a couple of years ago they did that. The NHS, just um, earlier this year, they published their 2019 survey of people working with the NHS. And they found that 28.5% of their people have been bullied in just the past 12 months. So we're not even covering a lifetime of work, but in just one year. That's, that's huge. Um, but that also, that's not just their people. That includes, you know, abuse they get sometimes from patients and families. Um, and the cost to NHS alone, if you look at workplace bullying, is £2 billion a year. And that would cover... Yes, absolutely. People who've, had, who've left, uh, people who've been, you know, traumatized and had to take leave as a result of mental health issues, um, absenteeism and uh, re reduction in uh, productivity. And then you include the lawsuits. Um, there are quite a number of lawsuits the, the NHS is fighting where people have left and then claimed um, unfair dismissal and, and bullying and so on. So that, that, that's huge. If we go further abroad, I mean, you just look at the US. Um, the US, I mean, the latest one from the um, um, EEOC shows slightly lowered about 19%, but that's still pretty significant. And they've said that out of those who've been bullied, 75% when they reported it were retaliated against. And this really goes to the fact that most people choose not to report it. So if you're a boss sitting in a company and you think, well, nobody's reported it, um, we're fine. Um, given that 
the majority of people are really unsure about reporting it. You don't actually know. And most people don't even know what bullying is. You know, they just put up with things, not realizing that it's bullying. If you look at just the legal profession where I come from, so the International Bar Association did this survey, um, which they released last year on, on, on bullying itself. One in two women lawyers and one in three men lawyers are bullied at work. 50 sorry, 57% don't report. And the reason why they don't report is due to the status of the perpetrator. So you can imagine that's someone fairly senior. And, and within law firms, word gets around if you try reporting. So most people just deal with it. So they're very afraid in that sense. And, and there's this sort of knowledge, you know, everyone knows, well, yeah, this is just what the legal profession is like. And that's actually where I came from. <laughs> so, and then um, if you look at, the impact um, people who are bullied go through incredible self-esteem issues. They withdraw at work. So there's the issue of the organization loses out because people stop being engaged. So if you imagine an employee who's been really energetic and suddenly withdraws, there's something going on and it's worth sort of finding out um, how he or she can be supported. Right. And um, that's, that's the, not so bad part of it. Um, quite a number of people suffer anxiety, they go into depression. And the worst of it, there have been people who've committed suicide due to being bullied. And that happened in France. And France is probably the first country in the world where they convicted three senior executives, including the CEO, of being responsible for creating a culture where workplace bullying was common. This is France Telecom. 35 workers committed suicide because of the, the uh, environment at work. Well, that's, that's, I mean, what you're saying is absolutely mind-blowing, certainly for me, and I'm sure it is for the listeners as well, for most of them. Um, and the scale of it is shocking. Um, it's obviously a massive problem. For example, and, and obviously you don't need to go into detail now, but if you're talking about the NHS losing two billion a year as a result of bullying, that's a huge amount of money, especially at a time when uh, certainly in the UK, people are saying that the NHS is not fully funded or properly funded and overwhelmed with now with COVID as well, et cetera. So two billion. So, the, so my question is, uh, if, you, if you know this, I don't know, but uh, the NHS, what are they doing about it? Surely it has to be a priority to be fixed, isn't it? I, well, I know a lot of people um, from the healthcare sector, you know, whether it's NHS or even other parts of the world, particularly the US. And um, my sense is that, well, they know it. The NHS is very aware because there have been these studies. Um, but I, I feel that they're struggling with it. And, and, and the, the primary thing needs to be the will to change. And that's really where leadership comes in. They've got to, first of all, see it as a problem, see it as something that can, it can be fixed, actually. But the main thing is, do you want to fix it? And I think what's happening, for example, in a number of the trusts is, you know, they have certain targets to meet. And then they have, you know, in order to meet those targets, they, it could drive inappropriate behaviors where, you know, people start, you know, yelling, put a lot of pressure um, and, and, and all this, this kind of toxic environment breeds other kinds of behaviors, which we might consider more, you know, bullying in terms of humiliating a colleague, making them feel really bad. Um, you know, even the concept of um, alienating or isolating people in the sense that, well, you're not part of our group, you know, we'll go out and have a drink and we're not inviting her or him, That's you know. Very common, isn't it? Oh, yes. And that is actually bullying. Uh, I think a lot of people are not aware of that because what it does is that you in your workplace, you feel I don't belong here. I'm made to feel like I'm not part of the group. And it, it really does affect um, your ability to perform at work. Yes, it's, it's a psychologically scarring as well. I remember I had a I had a managing director once in London who I reported to who and, and for me, it was two years of hell because she wouldn't actually uh, acknowledge me. You know, wow. I was basically yeah. out on a limb and I was scared of being honest with her about anything because I didn't even want to approach her. She was so cold towards me. So for two years, I was, 
I, I was constrained in a manner that was very debilitating for me. But then again, I think... My story, actually. Well, we'll come to your story in a minute, isn't it? Because yeah, it's sort of really your, your journey towards where you are now with all of this um, as really a, a, a sort of um, a leader in the field of, of what can we do about this. But I think, isn't it right to, to say that, you know, just about everyone has at some point in their life had a story about being bullied in the workplace in some form or another. And so... Yes. Uh, as we go through this conversation, Alima, and I think what would be really helpful for people to start to make it more personal and what can be done about it. Obviously, you've just painted this gruesome picture of how serious the problem is, but what can be done about it? And as the, as the title of this conversation goes, can, can, is it possible to redeem leaders who are toxic or can they do it themselves? So um, tell, tell us a bit about your story, first of all, then we can move into that kind of... Well, you know, it's interesting listening to you saying, you know, you went through two years of hell. I went for two years of hell um, in my first um, job after being called to the bar uh, in Malaysia. I mean, I, I worked in a, in a firm with a brilliant lawyer, um, also a woman, as, 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 as you describe, um, and her, her um, style was one of... Um, you know, really humiliating, putting you down and all that. But to her, that's how she trained you. And I went in there with my eyes open, knowing fully well that she was like that. But I wanted to be a really good lawyer, tough and all that. So I would go to one of the toughest. And, you know, at that time, I didn't understand workplace bullying. But my, my um, I lost confidence. My self-esteem plummeted. I, I thought... I almost left, lost, uh, left the profession, right? And in fact, the IBA report shows that most people leave the legal profession quietly, uh, as in they don't say why they left, but it is the environment or having, you know, as I did, a bullying boss. And, um, you know, I would get sarcastic remarks. I would get, you know, my work thrown, literally thrown back at me. And once um, I was told your opinion, so legal opinion that we write out is, is worse than toilet paper. You, you know, what does that do? Yeah. What, what does that do to you? Um, but in her mind, and, and she's of the older generation who believe um, that, well, this is how I train my lawyers and they go through this and they come out top notch, right? But, you know, two years of that, it really does something to you. And I was very fortunate to then get headhunted by another firm, which was very different, where they, they were interested in my opinions, you know, and I felt very nurtured and empowered. And, and that helped me grow to the kind of person I am today. But having said that, that's the legal profession, by and large, that is the, 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 that's the norm. And for lawyers, you know, you're expected to be tough on the younger lawyers because that's how you train them. And it, because my mindset was like, well, if I'm tough, try standing in front of a judge, you know, who's, who's like, you know, tearing you apart and you stand there, not only without, you know, crying, but you've got to deliver, do the job that your client expects you to do in court. So that's, that's the environment I grew up in, which, so I, from being a victim, I turned into a bully myself because that's all I knew. Yep. Right. So, you know, you said, so nine years I was in practice and then I joined the oil and gas industry and people laugh at me when I say, Oh, the oil and gas industry is so gentle. It's, it's, it's nurturing and it's gentle. You see, I can see you, you know, I can see you, right. I'm making a face there. Yeah. <laughs> But, I've, um, I've had clients in that field, by the way. It's very male-dominated, isn't it? Or well, what? that's the other thing. It is. I mean, there are far more men um, in, in oil and gas compared to the legal profession. Um, especially in Malaysia, there are many, many women lawyers, right, uh, at senior positions. Um, so um, I went into a very male-dominated environment. And, and, and this is in the first week. Okay, so I had someone reporting to me. So I was, you know, her new boss. And I made her cry because I made a sarcastic remark, right? Um, and I, you know, I just made a throwaway remark as I walked past her table because I wasn't happy with her work. This was standard practice in law firms, right? <laughs> you just, and so I didn't realize this. She went to the, the, the uh, bathrooms and bumped into a, a, a manager who was, are you okay? And she told him what had happened. 
And um, so that evening, I get called into the general manager's office. This is my first week. And he starts off, well, Anima, how are you? How is it going? And then he asked, how is she? And of course, I said, you know, she's good. And, you know, we're learning ropes and stuff like that. And then he told me, right? He told me, well, you know, I bumped into this other manager who said that she, he found her crying in the, outside the toilets. Um, <laughs> and, and I was horrified. I mean, I was, the last thing I wanted was to make anyone cry. And I didn't realize, you know, I, and I remember when he told me this, I was sitting there thinking, God, that's nothing. All I said was this, right? <laughs> what a, you know, and I was thinking, oh, she's oversensitive, you know, that kind of thing. But I didn't say that. I mean, I was just thinking that. So he was, he was sort of telling me, you know, I don't know what the law legal profession is like, but you know, in, in our company, um, and I'll name it, it's Slumberger because it puts them in a good light, right? In Slumberger, that's not how we behave. You know, we're very respectful of people. And, and if we have issues, you know, we, we put it in a positive way. We don't tear them down, right? So, um, I just sat and listened and I felt like I wanted to sink into a deep hole, but that was sort of the beginning of developing self-awareness, sort of thinking before I said something, I'd stop myself. Um, and, 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 and I, you know, at the time I didn't realize this, but I think that they must've had a little huddle, including, you know, the legal team in, 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 in Dubai, um, who, because then my new boss then spent a lot of time coaching me about how to, bring up my people you know so looking back i realized what must have been going on behind the scenes um but um and then ironically um they they rolled out a harassment free workplace policy and being the, the the lawyer in charge of that region this was sort of southeast asia and i i covered india as well um i had to um give talks on this policy and i said to my my boss in dubai I said, wait a minute, you know, you know that I've bullied, you know, my, my uh, new, new um, uh, lawyer and now I'm to give these talks and well, you know, that, that's how you convert people, right? you make them give talks, but yeah. I thought it was, it was really eye opening for me and because I had to walk the talk, I couldn't be seen to do anything that was inappropriate in that way. I started becoming really mindful. And it's interesting. So when I joined the next company, I introduced a harassment-free workplace policy. I mean, I got it through the board and everything. And we did really intense training because I realized standing in front of a bunch of PowerPoint slides doesn't change behaviors. Yeah. We really went into people sharing their stories of being bullied when they were younger and even sharing stories of, you know, now that I'm a boss, I've, I've done this to, you know, some people and I'm not proud of it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really now understand how I'm hurting people. And that's why, you know, for me, I think leaders can be redeemed. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing that very honestly, uh, that story of, that you, of yours. And it points to something um, that's central to this conversation and to this issue, which is, as you say, um, you can be redeemed. We can redeem ourselves. The key to it, though, was that someone had the uh, compassion and the care and the wisdom to give you feedback. And then you had the, you took it, you were open enough to, to receive it and then actually wanted to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's a key yes. there. And certainly from my experience, uh, the executives I've worked with and coached over the years, who have been, uh, if you like, bullying, uh, bullies, it's typical that they actually don't get timely feedback. So they haven't really got a clue about how they're impacting other people, just like you didn't with that sarcastic comment. And so it speaks to the, you know, the solution which is having an organizational culture in which uh, people are given constructive, uh, sensitive and caring uh, uh, feedback about their behavior and about how they impact others. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, when I look back, I mean, that, that really was the turning point. And I, I, I shudder to think, I, I do wonder if I'd not switched industries what would my trajectory have been like? Would I have continued with bullying behavior? Because I think going back to, you know, the high figures we see in the legal profession, um, it's because, you know, the, it, it's endemic, right? I mean, the culture is such that 
people accept that this is how it is. It's okay to make sarcastic remarks. It's okay to be harsh with people when you're, you know, you're training them. Um, it's, and you know, there's yelling and screaming. Although I think some people do realize that's that's already crossing <laughs> the 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 fresh the, the bar. But I, I would say the bar the bar is actually far higher than you know the level of tolerance than than in other industries. So young lawyers especially have to put up with a, an incredible amount of well, I'll say crap, right? And that's why a lot of them leave after a while. I mean, things like, you know, even feeling targeted that, you know, you're about to go home and then somebody puts all this work on your desk and says, okay, it's due tomorrow. You know, it's Friday and it's due on Monday. There are also games that law firms play with each other, especially in litigation, that they only deliver bundles, you know, at the end of the week and Monday it's, you know, it's due for clients or whatever. But um, some of this has to change, but a lot of it is unnecessary. Um, and uh, that just adds to this sense of pressure and the sense of, well, this is how it is. If you can't hack it, you can leave the profession. That's the, that's the thought process that goes on there. Right. <clears throat> You've triggered a memory, um, Anima, of when I went to, on vacation once to a, a lovely little island in the West Indies, and <laughs> I just literally arrived um, and we were walking through the, the, the sort of lobby area, this gorgeous place. And, and there was a, a couple of phone booths there. This is old school. And there was one guy on the phone and he was obviously talking to his boss in New York. And, and he was, it went something like, well, so, well, um, yeah, well, we've just arrived actually. We've been here a day um, and he's listening and he goes, so, so are you saying that you want me to come back tomorrow? Uh, okay, uh, uh, all right, sure, I'll make arrangements. I'll, I'll, I'll be back in the office tomorrow. This man, especially in the culture of America where, you know, you only get a week or two's vacation at a time. This man had brought his family on vacation and within a day, to, you know, he, his boss was saying, you've got to come back. That's it. You're back. I mean, imagine what that does to, yeah. for his relationship with his family too so yeah. you know you add on to that um so there's the stress at work and then and, and that's the other thing we're, we're we're not we don't work in isolation we have other lives too right beyond work and how that impacts you know our relationship in with our families um so it, it just compounds that sense of you know frustration or anxiety and stress and worry. And I, I was just reading, there, there's a case in Australia, the federal court in Victoria just um, made a judgment yesterday where they said it was wrong for, this was Technology One, which is an Australian company, to fire somebody and awarded a 2.5 million US, uh, sorry, Australian dollar um, award to him. And what he was experiencing, so he's being bullied at work, but a lot of that was really because of what was happening in his own life. He had a very ill um, daughter, but he ignored that and put all of his effort into his work. And then this guilt that came up after that, and he was actually quite suicidal. I mean, we need to understand how work impacts a person's life as a whole. And even for a person in, and he was quite senior by the way. And he, so even for a person in a leadership position, um, understanding how that's impacting our well-being and our relationship with people within the workplace and in our personal lives and, and friends and so on um, and what that does. So we are, you know, I always believe that we bring our whole selves to work. We can't really be sort of silo, okay, this, I'm in work mode. And I mean, yes, you do that to, you know, to a certain extent so you can focus, but um, you know, our emotions follow us. And that also um, sometimes triggers behavior at work, which is uh, inappropriate. You know, yelling at somebody because you're so stressed, maybe from whole life, and that turns you into, into a bully as well. Yeah, I think let's, let's talk a bit about the, the roots of this uh, behavior as well. Uh, let's talk about corporate life in general or organizational life. It doesn't even have to be for profit, could be not for profit, um, where the um, the drive for results causes leaders and managers to be scared and stressed that they're not going to achieve the results, and therefore their own job is at stake. 
that's they then through that stress default to uh, aberrant behavior and they will take it out on their people because of their own issues their own fear of not getting the goals not achieving the revenue targets and so on um, so can you talk a little bit about um, the the root of toxic leadership and the root of bullying would you not say that it's some, it's at root some form of fear Definitely. I mean, it comes from insecurity and, you know, what you talk about, um, this need, I mean, the culture, especially in, so I, I'm very familiar with the corporate world, right? I mean, we're, <laughs> we're all driven by KPIs, right? Yeah. And, 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 and if you look at the, the uppermost level, these KPIs are formed as a result of what, especially if it's a public listed company, or even if it's not, is what they've promised the shareholders. And the, the analysts hold you to that. They'll be looking at, you know, your revenue and your, your profits and, and um, you know, opening up markets or whatever it is, generating business. All that, because it gets, it gets reported every quarter, right, um, to the stock exchange, the analysts pour through it, and whatever they say will affect the company's stock price. So I'm just talking about public listed company. Yes. And, and, and the private companies aren't, you know, too far off as well, because they're all driven by every year they have to exceed last year's targets. And sometimes this is impossible. I mean, we know, everyone knows this year that's going to be impossible, right? Um, but what that does is put in insane amount of pressure at everyone right from you know the board to the senior management to the you know the various heads of different divisions or countries and and so on and it, it cascades down and a lot of leaders sort of take this view that you know don't don't give me bad news you just need to meet these targets i don't want to know what your problems are you know just meet them and, and, and they say this because they're also being pressured higher up. So there's this whole cascade. And um, that's also, you know, speak up, we realize, you know, bad news doesn't travel because they've just been told, don't give me bad news. So by the time a company discovers a problem, it's explosive, literally, right? You know, like, so for example, I mean, I've written about the Deepwater Horizon, um, the, the rig in the Gulf of Mexico, the BP rig that blew up. The problems were there. People could see it, but there was an insane amount of pressure and it actually was coming from the analysts because they said BP has this huge discovery and um, they're going to make this amount of uh, money coming out of the Gulf of Mexico. And, and there was also the sense that this rig is behind schedule. It was 80 days behind schedule. And, and the board was tired of being asked for more money. <laughs> you know, because they were really over budget. So you can imagine what that's doing to people on the ground. They start taking shortcuts because of this insane amount of pressure and they are afraid to deliver that bad news that we got a Houston, literally it was Houston in charge, right? Yeah. Houston had a problem, right? Um, so that, that wasn't translating very well. So in that case, we all know what happened. 11 men died. Um, huge amount of pollution. And um, I don't know the latest figure, but, you know, there was $20 billion that, um, that the BP had to pay just under the Clean Water Act. I'm not even including all the lawsuits that came out of that. So um, the, the impact on a company is huge when you have this kind of environment where the pressure is so immense. So, 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 so sorry, I'm interrupting you. Um, did you finish? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I... I I, I want to jump in because it's the question that comes to mind is how can that cycle, that vicious cycle be stopped? Is it possible to have a, a corporate culture that creates a successful set of KPIs and return to shareholders and et cetera, uh, and at the same time create an environment where people are engaged, where they, are, uh, they feel they can express themselves truthfully and honestly? where they do feel comfortable to express themselves and blossom uh, with their potential. Is that possible? And, and if so, how, how can that happen? Definitely. And this does hu it, it need a huge mind, mind uh, shift, right? Um, first of all, people have to feel safe. And this includes the leaders, right? The leaders have to feel safe to say, this isn't going to work. They should, you know, they feel safe enough to tell their board, this target 
is impossible. We need to, we need to change it. And the board needs to be receptive to that. I mean, I know CEOs are like, oh my God, I've got to go to the board and tell them this thing. And so there's so much stress around that as well. Because again, do you have a supportive board or a board that's just going to, you know, literally fire you? So that's one thing that it's okay. Sometimes we understand we need to hear what are the obstacles to achieving those KPIs. And if they're not going to work, Let's change them. Don't worry about this. Don't let the stock price decide, drive decision making, right? That's one thing. Um, but but the, the other is also in the sense of feeling safe. So leaders need to feel that, you know, they can admit they made a mistake. They can admit that they were wrong. Um, and, and not in a way that, you know, constantly being wrong and never learning from it, and not being held accountable. Accountability is still important. But then being able to be, you know, vulnerable enough to open up and say, well, you know, this isn't, this isn't working or, well, you know, a few months ago, we made this decision and now having seen how that's impacting people, I think we need to change it. And, and then they get accused of flip-flop. <laughs> You know, you see that among politicians. And I think there's nothing wrong with flip-flopping. It is, in a sense, you realize something's not working. But if the environment is such that you're accused of flip-flopping all the time, are you going to be open up? And are you going to open up and say, okay, let's change it? So, you know, we all know leaders who stick doggedly to one decision, knowing that it's wrong, <laughs> because the fallout of turning around and saying, we need to change it. And this is where even society as a whole, we need to be open to people making mistakes. Oh, so this is, uh, you know, it's wonderful what you're saying, Anima. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I remember the times when I used to coach uh, executive teams. And um, one thing I would, I would coach the individual uh, team leader uh, I would give them very powerful verbatim data feedback, um, which was the, uh, the, gave them a clear picture, a crystal clear picture of how they impacted other people. And then I would say, now, the best thing you can do with this data that I've, that I've shared with you is to go in front of, have a meeting with your team and share with them what it is that you've discovered from the feedback you've got, which... Mm -hmm they will love you for that. They'll appreciate the fact that they can actually contribute to your development and growth and uh, be involved and that you respect them and they will be more engaged, more motivated. They'll love you more for being so open and honest with them. And, it's, and that's something very practical that managers and executives in organizations can do be talking about the solution can leaders be redeemed but it takes courage it takes a lot of courage it takes emotional fortitude and a commitment to to growth and doing the right thing and a commitment also i'd suggest Adamar, to not being not serving self but to serve others you know it's absolutely because absolutely. i think a lot of toxic toxic leadership is about again going back to the fear i I need to get this done. I need, and, and then people are just uh, commodities to, to get the result that I want. Does that make sense? And, and yeah, and I think, I think, yeah, I want it because if I don't get it, if I don't achieve this target, I won't get my bonus. Or, you know, I might, you know, be, you know, lose my job or this position. And I think this is, if you're a leader, you, you're leading people and you need to think of them first. <laughs> And you come second, but unfortunately, we're not we're not seeing that in many cases. And I was just, you know, as you were explaining this, because like, yeah, we're talking about, you know, how does a, a a leader who might have bullying traits themselves kind of step back and and re watch, watch that and redeem themselves? And I was just thinking, you know, maybe we could do a little role play just to demonstrate what this looks like, because. Um, you know, maybe you can accuse me of something. So let's just pretend, sure. you know, uh, I, maybe I'm your boss, for example, right? And right. you just tell me something that I probably wouldn't like to hear. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So, um, all right. So, so, so Anima, um, I've got to tell you, I'm getting really pissed off with the fact that every week you're asking me, uh, about this and that and the other opportunity because you want to get the, me to get my monthly goals and it's putting a lot of pressure on me 
and uh, I'm feeling really stressed out. And in fact, to be honest with you, I think the more that you're telling me that I need to get my act together to get the goal in time for the end of the month, the more I'm going to dig my heels in and the more I'm resistant to actually doing that. So I just want you to know that. And I'd like you to lay, lay off, please. Lay off me. Okay, so this is interesting. Just listening to you, you know what's going in me? Like, well, how dare you? So I'll just share your inner dialogue as you're saying that. Like, I, I, okay, so me, right? I believe I'm a fair boss, right? And I've given you a lot of leeway already, Michael. And how, you know, we're already falling behind. And how dare you come to me and say that I'm pressuring you? <laughs> Do you not know how much pressure we're under? So this could be the inner dialogue of someone who's listening to you. Um, and then, so my natural reaction would be to deny what you're telling me. And I'd say, no, Michael, that, that's, you know, I'm not doing that. So first of all, I'm not doing that. So whatever your lived experience is, I'm completely denying it. I'm not listening to you. And in my head, I'm making, I'm sort of thinking, well, does he not realize, you know, what we're going through? And then, so then I splutter out to you and say, oh, we're going through this, this, this. So actually I'm, I'm making it worse. <laughs> I am making the situation worse. And then I feel really angry because how dare you accuse me of it? In my mind, it's excuse. You're, for you, you're speaking up or you're being um, honest with me, upfront with me. In my head, I'm seeing you accuse me of something. So I'm talking about a typical, very natural human reaction to this right so i'm now thinking so you know i'm i'm i get even more pissed off and i might say something harsh to you and then you go off you're dissatisfied and i start i sit in my office and i'm seething right <laughs> like how dare he um and it could very well be and what happens with some leaders is that they remember this conversation and they're like hmm, he doesn't he has no idea and they get even tougher. And that's actually a form of retaliation. And it's really common that when employees try telling their bosses something, the bosses, instead of taking it in a positive way and as feedback, they kind of mark that person and make their life even more difficult. And it can be little things like, um, okay, I'm not inviting you for the next meeting or like, um, okay, you don't want to do any work? Fine, I won't give you any work. <laughs> right? you know, it's, it's, you know, the kind of behaviors and the number of people have come up to me and said, this is what's going on. And it's so, and it's normalized. It's almost like, well, you know, that's expected behavior. So you think about it. If I'm the kind of leader who's going to react in that way, are you, Michael, like knowing that or any of your other colleagues, are they going, are you all going to come up to me and tell me anything again? Probably not. No. <laughs> right. Yep. And that's why people don't report these kind of things, right? And that's why, you know, even when we talk about speak up, you know, the, 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 the company I'm doing is that people aren't going to really tell you um, any problems that they may be f facing and delivering because of this kind of reaction. So really what I should be doing, I mean, so I'll just very quickly, you know, there's this concept called DAVO, mm -hmm. right? And so DAVO um, is really arose out of you know sexual violence in, in universities where if someone um, had um, you know so let's say it typically would be you know young female students said she had been sexually assaulted by um, someone else the very common reaction by the the person um, who had assaulted her would be d to deny that's the first thing no i didn't and then A, attack. So attack is then attack her. So you attack the victim. So in my thought process just now, instead of me being supportive and encouraging, I might say to you, well, Michael, you're just not delivering. You know, so I start, or you're not good enough, or you don't know what you're doing. So I'm attacking you. You've just given me that really valuable feedback, but what am I doing? I'm attacking you again, right? Is that the A in the Davo? Yes, A. So D, yeah, and then, and then it's R-V-O, so that's reverse victim offender. So now I would turn around to you, Michael, and I would say, you know, I'm suffering because you're not delivering. <laughs> now, and then I suddenly go into, I've seen this happen actually, Michael, I suddenly go, in, oh, you know, it's really difficult. I'm staying late because, you know, all of you can't do your work properly and I have to redo everything you're doing. And, you know, and then my wife is now, okay, my husband is nagging me and da, 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 da. And 
you stand there and then maybe you even feel sorry for me. So, and then, and, and, and seriously, sometimes there are tears, <laughs> crocodile tears. So, you know, your, your inability to deliver is making my life a living hell. <laughs> so now I'm playing victim. Yes, I get it. And then you are now the offender. Look, it's your fault that my life is like this. So in sexual violence, like, you know, a lot of those accused, you know, the Me Too uh, perpetrators, they say, my reputation is ruined. You're dragging me down. And again, that is the sense of you are, are the offender and I'm the victim. So we see this Darvel playing out so often. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I talk about this to make people aware of this, this pattern that happens, right? And really what we should be doing, especially as a leader, when you catch yourself doing that, I mean, this is the thing, you need to be watching yourself, right? Being aware of how you're behaving. You just stop and kind of think of all those, you know, those, those, that inner dialogue I gave, like, okay, all this is happening. Don't say it, number one. Often it, in the heat of the moment, we may say things. So it may not be a good idea, if you, especially if you're angry, to carry on that conversation. You might just say, okay, thank you, Michael. Um, you've, let me get back to you. I'll think about this. Because if it continues, you might end up yelling at him, right? I mean, I might end up yelling at you. So um, if, if you know you're, you're like that, I mean, for me, I'm, I can be hot-headed. So I, I apply what I call the 24-hour rule, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't speak to the person. I mean, I, I, I don't bring it up or even email them or anything for 24 hours because by that time I've, I've been thinking about it. I've been like, and the questions I ask is, is it true? You know, is there truth in what this person is telling me? Have I really been unfair? You know, um, and, um, are my styles really impacting this person that they're very stressed out? And that shouldn't be something I'm doing. So, you know, in that 24 hours, I, I take that time to do that. So by the next day, um, that having percolated, I am able to then have a reasonable conversation and <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to blow up, you know, and, um, and, and say, you know, first of all, well, thank you, Michael, you know, um, you, you really raised some pertinent points and um, it was wrong of me to, to do this, you know, uh, behavior with you in this way um, and I've been thinking about this and it, you could even ask I mean I could ask you well Michael what do you think would be um, you know an appropriate solution that would support both of us and get the work delivered and then you know I'm then now empowering you as opposed to me you know pushing things your way and I'm sure you would feel oh okay you, you know so if I did have that conversation with you Michael how would you feel right yes well, I would feel uh, listened to, um, respected. Um, I would be uh, delighted, in fact, that you hadn't reacted um, and hit me back. Um, I would be willing then to have a, a calm, from my point of view, a calm ex to give a calm expression of what my problem is with you as my boss. And um, I would be, I would appreciate the fact that you might ask me, well, what do you think the solution might be? You're giving me a chance to be part of the solution in collaboration and partnership with, with, you know, with the boss. So it's, it's a, it's a win-win in the end. Um, and I also think this speaks to um, the whole issue or uh, now the popularity and the validity of emotional intelligence and more and more companies at even senior levels, at the top levels, are realizing that if someone is skilled in their levels of emotional intelligence and the competencies, then they are much more likely to not be the bully, in fact, the opposite, to deal with situations like we just role played in a very effective way. And I'd like to come back to that in a minute. Um, we're, we've got another 10 minutes and I'm just gonna do a quick commercial break and say that uh, I am speaking to Animar Kozai, my guest today. We're talking about can the bullying leader be redeemed or redeem themselves? And indeed, I think so far we're in agreement that that is the case. Um, and we've looked at ways in which we can actually uh, 
allow for that to, to that redemption to occur through feedback, through courage of the individual leader taking responsibility uh, for becoming more self-aware and mindful. Um, Animara is the founder and director of Speak Up at Work Limited, co-founder and uh, co-founder of Speak Up Academy. And uh, we'll be back in one second. Hello, uh, back again. This is Michael Banks, host of uh, the uh, podcast series, Leadership Luminaries. And a reminder that this is a people smart production. And um, as I said, just before the short break, I'm with Animar Kozai. And uh, we were discussing how uh, emotional intelligence plays a part and why it's now uh, so many savvy heads of global learning and development or HR managers, or even indeed chief executives of organizations are realizing how important it is, especially for the leaders at the top to become more self-aware and mindful of how they impact other people. So that we can move away from the, the sort of toxic uh, culture that can occur when that's not the case and where uh, people uh, sort of resort to uh, bullying behavior uh, because of their own fear of not getting results at the top and how that sort of cascades down through the organization so that people are scared. Uh, and we started out um, at the beginning of this interview, Animar, when you were sort of sharing with us some really shocking facts about the prevalence of bullying in the workplace and about uh, the cost of it, literally in financial terms and human terms, even as far as suicides, depression, uh, people, you know, talented people leaving their jobs and so on and so forth. So, um, so tell me about Speak Up Academy. Uh, what, 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 is the, what is the mission of Speak Up Academy and what, what, what is your intention in setting that up? Well, Speak Up Academy is the community and learning arm of Speak Up at Work. And um, Kanan, my co-founder and I, we started it just as lockdown began around the world. Um, and we didn't realize at the time how much it would take off because suddenly everyone was, you know, working from home. And because this is online, um, then people just took to it. So it's really for leaders and for um, change makers who are keen to have a, a better workplace environment because when we talk about speak up we're like we, we sort of ask well what do people want to speak up on and and these could be you know high level wrongdoings but even s s small things that are considered small like i've got a great idea but i'm afraid to say it because everybody will laugh at me you know so, so different sort of levels and so we invite people to come in and have these conversations and um you, you know you've seen it work right so we have our cafes every wednesday where we talk about anything speak up related <laughs> And, and but we're focusing on workplaces and organizations, you know, so the environments within there. And we talk about anything from, you know, corruption or underhanded dealing in a particular organization to racism. I mean, we, we had a lot of conversations around, um, you know, systemic racism generally and how that impacted people in the workplace, especially those black and minority ethnic who felt excluded, they didn't feel part of a work culture. So we have these all these kind of conversations. Um, and, and Speak Up Academy, we are also um, developing courses, you know, so whether this is around exactly what we talked about, workplace bullying, um, we have one on corruption risks, and we have some also where we're looking at, you know, helping create safe spaces, even for leaders. So we are about to create um, a launch um, soon, um, or maybe it's underway by the time this starts, um, a safe circle for leaders who come together and talk about things that they couldn't normally talk about within their own organizations. And a lot of the conversation that we've had in a previous um, uh, circle has been leaders saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on with COVID. I'm, I'm so afraid, you know, what if we have to tell people they're going to lose their jobs? Or I don't have answers for my, for my employees. You know, we're all very afraid. So we're talking about how leaders could open up, be vulnerable, um, take off that mask, literally, right? Um, you know, and um, be, be able to be upfront and honest with people and how that actually creates more trust and a sense of loyalty, even in even when difficult decisions have to be made. So speak up really is about 
having these brave and honest conversations, which are, you know, whatever level you are in, in the organization. And yeah, it's, it's an online community. So people are welcome, um, you know, to come and, and join us um, and uh, join part of our conversations. And even if you wanted to create your own, you know, you, you have a, a problem and you think quite a number of people have the same problem. So for example, let's say, well, I've got a problem. I don't know how to deal with sexual harassment, for example, in the workplace, or I've got this great idea for, for doing some kind of new policy or training. I want to get feedback. So we encourage, you know, groups to form and discuss around that. Um, and getting feedback, you know, from someone who's just like you, but maybe halfway across the world or in a different industry completely that you wouldn't normally meet can really be eye opening. And also it's really, I mean, I'm in lockdown, but having these conversations a lot with people across the world is energizing. It's very motivating. And, you know, the main thing is you don't feel alone anymore. You don't feel isolated. You know that there are a lot of people out there who feel the same way. And that helps us move things forward within our own organizations. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. And by the way, uh, thank you for the good work you're doing. Um, I really uh, applaud you for I'm not sure if there are actually, actually that many people, individuals, or organizations doing this work, and I'm sure there will be more in the future. But you're certainly a pioneer in the field, Anima. Um, and I've really enjoyed discussing this with you and, and listening to, to uh, your experiences and, and your views. Um, and I hope the listeners have too. This has been a fantastic interview, and I really appreciate you coming on today and, uh, uh, and sharing all your experiences. So, uh, it's a I, pleasure. Yeah. Definitely. I enjoyed it, Michael. Thank you, too. You're very welcome. Okay, great. Well, that's it, folks. Um, on to the next episode. And uh, today uh, we've listened to Animar Kozai of Speak Up at Work and Speak Up Academy. Take care. And we'll help. Sorry, before I go, before I go, before I go. Gosh, I almost forgot to, to ask you this. How can people get in touch with you? What are your coordinates? Okay, well, um, my website is www.speakupatwork.com. So that's all one word. And from there also, you can sort of find out where Speak Up Academy is. So, um, and um, the, or you can find me if you want to con connect, connect with me directly. I'm on LinkedIn. So Anima Kosai on LinkedIn. And I think Twitter too. I'm there on Twitter. So if anyone can you wants spell to your know. name, please, Anima? A-N-I. M-A-H-K-O-S-A-I, Anima Kosai, yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much and uh, all the best to you and keep up the good work. You're doing brilliantly. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye. -bye. Bye.